will, turn in your Bibles to the 26th chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 26 as we continue our study through the Word. So Jesus is excited to come and, and to celebrate the Passover meal, the, that final last supper that, that we talk about. He was looking forward to being able to pour into the disciples. It was the last meal that he would have with them. And it wasn't just an ordinary meal wasn't a farewell dinner, but it was going to be the inauguration of the new covenant. The whole purpose that Jesus Christ came was to offer himself up as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, sin has been the problem of man since the very first creation of Adam and Eve. There in the garden, they sinned. And, and when they sinned, you remember that they broke fellowship and communion with God. So it was that lost intimacy with God. And then also there was the issue now of repentance. There was the issue of when we do sin and we want to come back into communion and fellowship with God, what is the avenue back into communion and fellowship with God. And so you see that from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve first sinned, what happened? He clothed them with animal skins. There was a sacrifice that was made for those sins to be able to now be the covering for Adam and Eve. And so in the very beginning, there was the typology that God created that there is a sacrifice that we would bring to God in order to have our sins covered. Now, there's a big difference between having sins covered and having sins removed. And so covering, this was a temporary solution to the problem. Removing your sins, that's something that's completely different. So when you feel bad about your sin, and you wanted to come and tell God that you were sorry for your sin, God instituted a sacrificial system. And so you would come and you would bring your animal, you would put your hands onto the, the lamb, you would confess your sins, you would repent before the Lord with that innocent animal there. And then your sins would be put onto the animal, the innocent sacrifice, and that sacrifice now would pay with its life for your sins, and now you would be reconciled to God. Now, it was a covering over. It didn't remove your sin, but it allowed you restored fellowship with God. But every time you sinned, what did you need to do? You needed to repeat it. You needed to repeat it. You needed to repeat it. And so God created this sacrificial system to demonstrate, number one, the severity of sin. That the wages of sin is death. And so either your death or the death of a substitute. And so God allowed a substitution to take the death, which is the wages of sin. But now Jesus is the lamb of God. 
And so what we do is we put our hands onto the Lamb of God. We confess our sin. He takes our sin, and then he went to the cross. And there at the cross, he offered up his life, the innocent, for the guilty, the sin transferred onto him, he paying now the penalty for that sin. And it's the final sacrifice because the shed blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't just cover our sin, it removes our sin. And so it is the permanent fulfillment of the sacrificial system that we see God instituted. Now, we see here that Jesus is longing to come and to have this final Passover meal with them. And in the Passover meal, he is going to celebrate now the Lord's Supper, what we call communion or the communion table. And the today, at the end of our service, we're going to close by going to the communion table and by celebrating communion together here this morning. And so excited to be able to do that with everybody here this morning. So Jesus was looking forwards to this meal. And he comes, and you'll remember the, at the meal now, the disciples, they come in, and, and Jesus is he's instituting the new covenant. It's the last meal he's going to have with them. And when they come in, what are they talking about? They're fighting amongst themselves with who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And you remember that they wouldn't wash each other's feet and there wasn't a servant there, so everybody's sitting at the table with dirty feet and you remember how Jesus then stands up and disrobes and washes their feet, uses it as an object lesson that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we see the that he sets the example, washes the disciples' feet. And you remember Peter's actions there. Remember how Peter says, not my feet only, then my hands, my whole body, give me a bath. And you remember how Jesus says, no, you don't, you don't need the, all of it. You see how Peter, oftentimes we, we find him not just letting the Lord lead him. He's always trying to change what the Lord is doing. He's, all, he's always trying to, you know, tell Jesus his opinion on things. You remember when, you know, Jesus, you know, says that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And Peter says, oh, Lord, you know, you don't need to do that. You don't need to die and, and all. And, and you remember how Jesus rebukes him with, get thee behind me, Satan, for you know not the things of God. And, uh, and so here we see, even at the Last Supper, we see Peter not just allowing the Lord to lead him, but, but he's always kind of struggling against that, that, that surrender, that humility, that submission to, uh, to the simple will of God in his life. Follow me, Peter. And so you remember that while they're eating now after that object lesson that that Jesus tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And you can imagine how stunning and you know shocking that was to them that, that one of them is going to end up 
and betraying them. And, and you remember that all of the disciples asked, you know, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And we talked about that last time, that, that they all didn't look at Judas. They didn't know. And then you remember that, that Judas says, Rabbi, is it I? And he doesn't call him Lord because he was no longer the Lord of his life. He stopped being the Lord when, when he went to the religious leaders and he betrayed Jesus. He, he went to the religious leaders and he said, what will you give me if I betray Jesus to you? And Judas agreed for 30 pieces of silver. And so the deal was struck and now Judas was looking for that opportunity to be able to turn him into the authorities. And, and do you remember that when Judas says, you know, Rabbi, is it I? That Jesus tells him, it is as you have said. The other gospels tell us that he says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Depart. And Judas heads out into the darkness. He heads out into the night. And truly that is a metaphor because he is turning away from the light of the world. And when you're walking away from the light, you are walking into the dark. You are walking into darkness. And so there is a, a heaviness now that has kind of come over this, this celebratory meal. The Passover, the Seder meal is a, is a victory meal. It's a celebration of when God brought the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt and, and freed them from their bondage, freed them from their slavery. Uh, and so uh, here we see now that, uh, that the disciples are there and uh, and as they were eating, it says in verse 26, that Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And so Jesus takes this loaf of unleavened bread. Leaven, you'll remember, is a, is a symbol. It's a type of sin. And so this bread is a bread now that has no sin in it. You remember that manna was the bread that came down from heaven and that that bread sustained them. And, and the Jews had a special blessing when they would break bread. They would say, blessed are you, Lord, our God, who brings forth bread from the earth. And so it was considered a gift from God. Bread was considered uh, a gift from God. So they would never cut bread. They would never take a knife and saw through and cut bread, they felt that that was irreverent to do that. And so they would just break the bread with their hands. And so Jesus breaks the bread, and, and that unleavened bread, the reason that it was unleavened was because leaven takes time for it to rise. But you remember how quickly they were delivered out of Egypt. It was that night, and then bam, the next day, they are gone. And so it commemorated the speed of their delivery that it didn't even have time to rise. And so this is now why they would eat the unleavened bread. But Jesus takes this unleavened bread, the bread that came down from heaven, the manna, 
but the manna has no sin in it. The bread that came down from heaven has no sin in it whatsoever. And so he takes this now and puts a new meaning into it for the new covenant, the covenant that we are now in and underneath which he was inaugurating here at this meal. And so the bread now becomes a symbol uh, of his body, of the sacrifice of the lamb that has no sin that is now going to be offered up to him. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And, and so when Moses now inaugurates the uh, the Mosaic Covenant with the people. The law is given at Mount Sinai. He has freed them. They are going to be uh, his people now. Uh, Moses went out and he made a sacrifice. And then he poured half of the blood on the covenant of the altar. And then he took the rest and he, he dipped it and he sprinkled it onto the people. And so the blood of the covenant sealing now the covenant. So Jesus is offering his body and now it's being sealed with the blood. The covenant now is being sealed with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so now the, the blood, the cup is representative uh, of the blood of Christ that will be shed and the innocent blood being saved, being shed for the guilty, the fulfillment of the sacrificial system in the typology. And so here we see that now his cup, his blood is now the blood of the new covenant. And so here we see this new covenant, this new agreement between God and man. And we see that, that this now, is the key to our relationship with Jesus Christ. The old covenant was a shadow that pointed forwards to the reality. Remember when Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to what? To fulfill the law. You see, the, 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 the old covenant was a shadow of Christ. But now, no longer are we in the shadow, for now Christ himself has come forth. And so he is the fulfillment of the shadow. And so when we accept Christ, he takes our sin upon himself, and now we are sprinkled with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that shed blood washes away. It's the sealing of the covenant. In verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And, and so the marriage supper of the lamb, the, the kingdom, the inauguration and how glorious that is going to be at that wedding celebration. You have been invited to a wedding and you are a part of that wedding. You are the bride at that wedding and we are gonna enjoy this amazing, amazing marriage supper of the Lamb. It is a heck of, 
hecka reception that we are going to have there uh, up in heaven. It's going to last seven years. Did you know that? This is a seven-year celebration uh, that is going to take place up in heaven. Now, if you're not there, then you're going to be down here, and you don't want to be down here because those seven years that the marriage supper is going on up there is going to be known as what? The tribulation, the seven years down here is the tribulation. So the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the end of the tribulation are going to coincide with each other and then Jesus is going to stand up from the table and he's going to bring his bride with them and we are all going to return and he is going to set up then the millennial kingdom here upon this earth and so we will return with him. And so Jesus looks forward to that to that time, the marriage supper, when we are gonna be joined together with him. And so, verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so they head from the upper city and they head out towards the east again and that's in the direction of Bethany. It's the direction they would head out every single day. They would climb the Mount of Olives and it was through the Mount of Olives the triumphal entry took place. It was there in the Mount of Olives that Jesus gives that famous discourse when they look at the temple and admire it and Jesus says not one stone is going to remain upon it. It was from the Mount of Olives that he weeps over Jerusalem on his triumphal entry and, and now he heads back over to the to the grove of olives, the hillside that's just filled with olive trees. And somewhere in that olive grove on the Mount of Olives, there was a garden. And that garden was known as the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means an olive press. So it was the the Garden of the Olive Press. And so probably there was an olive press that was in this garden or near one. But in any event, that is the name of the garden where Jesus heads with his disciples. They sing the Psalms, the hymns. Those are the Hallel Psalms. They are Psalms 113, 113 through Psalm 118. And so they are the the praise Psalms. And, And it says in verse 31, and then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And so once again, this is in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy that all of them uh, are going to be made to stumble. Now, Jesus has already told them that one of them is going to betray him. And now he says to them that uh, all of you are going to scatter from me. All of you are going to depart from me. All of you are going to run away from me tonight in fulfillment of the mm, scripture. And Peter answered, don't you love Peter? The Lord, once again, tells him what is going to be. And what does Peter do with the Lord? He 
corrects the Lord. He, he tells the Lord why. No, that's not what is going to be. And I, I, I love that about leader, you know, about Peter in, in that he's a leader, you know, and he's not afraid to challenge, you know, a thought that he doesn't believe is true. But, you know, that, that's an important aspect of being a leader, of not passively allowing mistruth to be presented and to be set there. A, a leader is going to confront what they believe is not true. That's part of that boldness and, and courage of being a leader. And Peter is a leader, but there's a time when being a leader isn't a good thing. <laughs> and that's when hey, you're talking to the Lord, <laughs> who, who is to be your leader in all things. And, and so we see that, man, this doesn't resonate. Peter's a loyal kind of guy. Loyalty is important to him. And he is in true blue, and he is committed to the Lord. He can't see himself running away and being scattered. And so this is, again, where the Lord is telling him what is truth, but he's not receiving that truth from the Lord. And Peter will learn, and Peter will grow, not to walk by sight, but to walk by, by faith. And by every word that comes forth uh, from the mouth of God, the, the word of God. And, and here we see that, that Peter, you know, he answers and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That is exactly what Peter felt in the moment. Was that feeling true? That was a true feeling. But this is why the Bible tells us that we're not to govern ourselves according to our feelings. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked among all things. And so Peter in his heart is feeling like there's no way this is impossible. That, that was his authentic true self. But just because that's how you feel doesn't mean that that is truth. And so there's a big difference. Today our culture says that your experience is truth. And, and you can have an experience. Your heart, listen, your heart can become attached to, to things that are not of God. Amen? If you don't guard your heart, your heart can get attached. It can get into relationships and situations and circumstances now that, that is not God's will for your life. And, and so we are to acknowledge emotions. God gave us the spectrum of emotion to experience the technicolor of, of life. The full experience of life is rich because of emotion. But it is not to be the navigational device in your life. If you use it as a navigational device, if you use it to make decisions in your life, it will lead you astray. It is not a trustworthy navigation. Here, Peter is listening to his feelings. He's listening to the truth of Jesus' words, and he's listening to his feelings. And he has to decide now which of those are true. And what does he decide? His feelings are true. Lord, I would never do that. I don't feel like there's any way that I will ever be made to scatter. And here we see where God knows you better than you know you. And when God is leading you and guiding you, it is for your own blessing. 
And so we submit ourselves to the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so Peter here now, he steps out, he resists, he tells the Lord that there's no way that he's going to scatter. Even if everybody else scatters, even if all of these guys, I never really liked them anyways, <laughs> but even if they all scatter and fail you, <laughs> He can count on me, Lord. I, I will not stumble. And the Lord looks at Peter. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He says to Peter, Peter, listen, they may be made to stumble, but three times you're going to deny me. This this very night. And here's Peter's answer. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. Forgive me. No, that's what he should have said. <laughs> but what does he do? He doubles down. First he tells them that he won't be made to stumble. And now the Lord tells him, not only are you going to stumble, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Lord, you are so completely wrong on this one. <laughs> Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Yeah, we're with Peter. We're not going to deny you. We're not going to scatter. We're not. And Jesus has a full-scale rebellion on his hands now over what he has told them is going to happen. And they cannot see. They cannot picture it. They cannot envision it. And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. That's the, the garden, the olive press. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so here we see that he takes the eight disciples and leaves them, goes a stone's throw distance from them. Judas is off betraying them, and so they're 11 now, the eight he posts them. He throws stones distance. Peter, James, and John, you guys wait here. Watch. He goes a little further, and he falls on his face. And, and now the cross is right before him. He's waiting to be arrested. The crucifixion is, is now. They enter into his suffering and his humiliation, the scourging and ultimately the crucifixion. And so as his body is recoiling from this trial now, as his flesh is recoiling from the sins of the world being placed, he is that innocent lamb that now the sin of the world is going to be laid upon him. He who knew no sin was to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so as, 
as the sin of the world is about to be placed on him, he is going to be experiencing now the breaking of fellowship, the tearing apart of intimacy and communion with the Father because sin causes separation of fellowship and communion. And so when the sin of the world is now upon him, his soul is going to be torn from that intimacy and fellowship that he has always experienced. And now he is asking the Father, Father, is there any other way that we can save mankind other than me having to go to the cross and experience now the, the sin of the world and the separation? And so he prays and asks, but he ends it with nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The number one thing that Jesus wanted was the will of God in his life. And may that be our prayer. May we want the will of God in our life over any other plan that we have got. The trusting that God's plan is the best plan for your life and for my life is that surrender. To pray whatever you pray, but then to add, but Lord, if you have a better plan for my life, I want my plan to be subordinated, kicked out to your will in my life. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. And haven't we all experienced that in our own life, the weakness of our flesh, the desire of our spirit, but the limitation uh, of our flesh? And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. They had just had the, the Seder meal, they had just eaten, and, and it's nighttime, and they're, and they're comfortable, and they're full. and they're... Have you ever noticed that at, at church during a service, how comfortable the seats can get and how warm you feel? And you're, so, and you're just like, oh, this is so, well, what? You know, and it, that happens to people at other churches, you know, not, not here, but other people have experienced that in other congregations, you know, and the, the spirit, you're like, I'm here, I'm ready to worship, let's go, and it's like, you know, and the, and the, and the flesh, you know, gets in the way, but boy, the minute that the closing prayer happens, everybody's awake and, and ready to go then, you know, so the spirit is willing, flesh, it's weak. And so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and, and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so we see that Judas is now leading those soldiers that are coming with him to arrest Jesus and we will pick it up there next time and and it's just interesting something I want you to just note that olives he's in the 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 garden of 
the olive press. And what's interesting about it is he has the three prayers. Three times he goes before the, the Father. Each time now he is compressed. And the Bible tells us that at the end that he is now actually sweating blood. That the pressure and the compression of the, uh, of the emotional, the spiritual, the physical is now to the point where he is underneath so much pressure that now he actually sweats blood. And there's a physical condition that causes that. And medical doctors have seen this with people that are underneath enormous stress and, and, and pressure. But... Real quick, what's interesting is that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in the Garden of the Olive Press. Now, what I find interesting is that olive oil comes in three different versions. There is the extra virgin olive oil. There is the virgin olive oil. And then there's what's known as pure or regular olive oil. And with the first press, the extra virgin olive oil, they would take and just put a little bit of weight on it. Today, if you buy extra virgin olive oil, it's normally pressed at 20 pounds per square inch. Just a, a, a bruising, just a light crushing, and just whatever the oil comes out with the, the lightest brushing, that is the extra virgin olive oil. They take and collect that. Then they put it in and they increase the pressure to 50 to 100 pounds. And that now comes out. And that is your, your virgin olive oil. But then there is the final press. And that final press is when they crank it up and it crushes the pits. See, the, the pits, when they crush, they're bitter. And it will make the olive oil bitter. And so that second press is to get everything they can without smashing the, uh, the pit. The third one, they crank it up to about 250 pounds per square inch. They crush it, mash it, and get every single drop that is impossible out. And this is what's known as pure olive oil. Normally, they would use that for their lights and for the, the, the inexpensive olive oil that you wouldn't eat and wouldn't use. And the temple would use just the extra pure for anything that was related to the temple. And so we have these three presses, these three crushings. We see the Lord three times in, in that final crush, in that final press, we see now the Lord is actually sweating blood out underneath that final bone-crushing pressure uh, of the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to invite the ushers to come and to pass out the elements. And, and as they pass the elements uh, to you, I want to invite you to take the elements and I want you to take the tray and, and listen carefully. I want you to pass the tray first to the person next to you and then let them hold it for you while you take the element uh, off of it. You start with the bread. The bread will go first and take the bread, but have the person holding the tray for you. And so this way here, your hands will be free to be able to take the elements by passing the tray first. As we enter into communion time, it's a time that I want you to hold the elements. We'll be given instruction, and we, we will all take those communion elements uh, together. And, and it's a time, really, of two things. It's a time of thanksgiving. This is where you enter into the story. 
You remember that after Jesus' resurrection, you remember that he appears to the apostles that night, but there's one apostle, there's one disciple that wasn't there. His name was Thomas, remember? And afterwards, they tell Thomas that that the Lord is risen. He appeared unto us. And you remember that Thomas says, I will not believe unless I actually put my hand in his side, unless I touch his very wounds. These communion elements, this is the time for you to enter into the story. This elements now is the time of you touching the wounds of Jesus. This is you now taking and looking at his actual hands that were pierced for you. The broken body of the Lord, the crucifixion and the shed blood as he hung there for you and and for me. And one day you are going to stand before him and one day you will look into his very eyes and one day you will see the eyes that sacrificed himself for you. And if you were the only person in the entire world, the Lord went to the cross just for you. It's a time that he stops being the Savior of the world and he becomes my Savior. This is an intimacy. This is a, a, a moment of where you connect personally with what Jesus did for you and what Jesus has done for me. And so this thank you. Jesus says, no greater love is a man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. And, and you're holding the, the very emblems of the representation of Christ laying down his life for you. How do you thank somebody who saves your life? And if it was just a physical life that he saved, but how do you thank someone that saved your eternal life? The duration of eternity. And so the thank you. Communion. Jesus said that you're to do this in remembrance of me. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. And then the second aspect of communion that I want us to focus on today is on the lordship of Jesus. The Bible says not to take the communion elements in an unworthy fashion. And that means that if you're, if you're not a believer today, this is just to celebrate the Lord being your own personal Savior. So just pass on the elements. There's, uh, there's nothing shameful about just passing. But this is about affirming not just that Jesus is Savior, but that he's Lord that he's the Lord of your life. And if there's any area in your life that you haven't been following him, if there's any area that he hasn't been the Lord of your life, this is the time to recommit yourself. This is a time to get yourself right with the Lord. Before you honor his death, make sure that, that we have clean hands. Make sure that we have pure hearts before the Lord and, and to re-acknowledge your absolute commitment to follow him wherever he leads you, to know that he loves you. And so we come as an action to be involved in our part of affirming 
He has invited us to follow him. And we say, yes, I will follow. And Lord, help me to follow even better than I've ever been following before. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for washing us clean with your shed blood. Thank you for writing our names in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family, for making a way back to you through Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling with us, dwelling in us, for molding us and shaping us into the image and likeness of our Savior who invited us to follow him. May we follow him more fully, more passionately, more completely. May we be more surrendered and softer in your hands, Jesus, than we've ever been. And so, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen and amen.